Cherry on Top is written, produced, and hosted by Matt Rebar. Chapter 7 The following morning, Cherry, Hayes, and Emily arrived on time for their 10 a.m. meeting with staff IT and tech, Battery. Barbara eyed them suspiciously, as if being early was a warning sign of sorts. Claire had joined them, making it practically a staff meeting minus Barbara, who had brought in pastries, which meant it was going to be a good day. I got you guys these cute little lavalier microphones, Battery informed. You can put them in your pocket. They pick up audio extremely well. They are battery charged for 18 hours, and they can hold 18 hours of shitty MP3 audio. Just remember to charge them each night and copy the audio off of them so you don't run out of room. Beautiful, Claire said. I love how they're designed to look almost like mini Bluetooth speakers or something. You all have accessories, Battery added. They'll come with cameras and microphones, too, and it'll feed back directly to our database. Claire has glasses. Cherry and Emily have them in two different types of necklaces. And Hayes, I got your accessory piece to be a watch. That'll be more difficult. But when you want to film something, just kind of raise your hand up. If we have these accessories, then why do we need the pocket lavalier? Cherry asked. Well, you can use the pocket lavalier as a bug if you need to. It's adaptable. Battery shrugged. I assume Claire will bug and mic the place up. That's what I'm doing today with Sir Charles Wellington Worthington, Claire nodded. Every room will have a camera and mic, and Battery has set up the system to automatically notify us when people have sketchy conversations. It's truly an innovative system. How can we afford this? Cherry asked with a skeptical eye. As if Cherry knows anything about affording things, Emily jokingly scoffed. Don't you usually have men pay for your lifestyle? At least one of us has a lifestyle. Cherry eyed Emily. Let me know when library chic comes back into fashion. Is there anything else we need? Hayes interrupted Cherry and Emily's sassy banter. Is there any like futuristic James Bond equipment lying around? Cherry asked, trying to butter Battery up. I'll let you know, Mrs. Santiago, Battery said crisply. Battery was a man of few words, like the typical computer geek. Sweetie, you could just call me Cherry, Cherry smiled. Now that this is over, I can go enjoy my only day off for the foreseeable future. Due to working the weekend for Sir Charles Wellington Worthington, Cherry, Hayes, and Emily had the rest of that Thursday off. Cherry had a lunch date with a man who turned out to have small hands, and then Cherry had a happy hour date with a man who couldn't stop talking about the Cleveland Browns. Cherry liked the Browns the way one liked chocolate. It was fine here and there, and sometimes it really hit the spot. But once you had too much, you were buckled over in stomach pain and regretting everything you've ever done in the name of chocolate. Cherry lived in a duplex with her roommate Cinnamon Sugar, real name Valerie DeGatto, who usually went by Sin. Sin was like a Melosa's copy of Cherry, except Sin's hair was black and her lipstick was dark purple. Sin was always jumping between jobs, but currently was the receptionist for a fancy Fortune 500 company in downtown Cleveland. Sin and Cherry had met a couple years ago and instantly bonded. It was one of those instant click friendships. How are your two dates? Sin asked, looking over at Cherry, who smirked in response. Two dates, two duds, Cherry sighed, pouring herself a drink from their makeshift cart of spirits. Their house decor was intense, as if the website Pinterest simultaneously threw up and had diarrhea. I should stop imagining that Prince Charming is just going to appear on one of these dates. The only thing charming about most of my dates is that I get free food out of them. We're young, Sin cried out, flipping through the channels like a six-year-old unmedicated kid with ADHD. Cherry and Sin only had cable because it was cheaper to pay for cable with internet than to just have the internet. I wouldn't stress out about having a bad dating luck, Cherry. I don't stress. It would just be nice to have a man, 
Cherry paused and thought about it. Just like the consistent sex part. Bingo, Sin agreed, settling in on a channel before changing it once again. God, cable TV has gone to hell in a handbasket. Who wants to watch a show about people raising kids? Don't people get enough kids in their life? Are you in for the night, Cherry? I'm going on another date in an hour, just for like a late night snack. You, a snack? Sin's eyes were raised higher than hell. You've been known to turn every snack situation into a meal. I can't help it if I'm a meal, Cherry falsely complained. I didn't mean it like that, but you're right, Sin cried from the couch. Do you want to watch a quick episode of Forensic Files before your next date? Absolutely, there's no need for me to change. Cherry shrugged and plopped down on the couch. We're meeting at Treehouse, so that's like a five-minute drive. Cherry, Emily, and Hayes lived in three townships west of Cleveland, in Tremont, Ohio City, and Lakewood, respectively. Cherry lived in Tremont, which was hippie and filled with restaurants, bars, and condos. Emily lived in a solo apartment in Ohio City, a gentrified area of town which was more so alternative than hipster. She considered roommates as fellow inmates and not friends. Hayes lived in Lakewood, which was the combination of small-town suburb and youthful explosion. Hayes lived with the college frat brothers in a post-college frat house situation. Oh, I've seen this episode, Cherry sighed, eyeing the forensic files in front of her. Do you want me to change it? Sin asked while texting four boys at once. No, it's a good one, Cherry reassured her, eyes glued to the screen. It was a gorgeous night, so Cherry and her date Michael were out on the porch later that night. Cherry was having a vodka tonic, while Michael had opted for an IPA. Cherry had sampled Michael's drink and found that it tasted like raccoon shit. So tell me about yourself, Michael asked, sipping his feces-flavored IPA. I hate that question. Cherry sighed. There's so much to me. I don't even know where to begin. It's like staring at a gorgeous mountain range and saying, I wonder what the trails are like. Begin with the highlights. Well, I graduated from Cleveland State University with a bachelor's in criminology. Cherry decided that that was a highlight. That's impressive. I didn't peg you for an academic. I'm not the smartest girl, but that doesn't mean I'm not smart. Michael paused at that comment, but Cherry continued. I was thinking of being an actual cop, but I didn't want to do patrol, Cherry explained. I'm a little bit stubborn. It's hard for me to get to do things I don't want to do, although I'm quite open to doing things. So instead, I began working towards becoming a private investigator, and Claire took a chance on me. Are you good? At least good, Cherry confirmed. I have my moments. I'm still learning every day. What kind of skills do you have? I can be persuasive. How so? Cherry shifted herself so that her boobs were much more massive. Michael's eyes might as well have screamed bazookas from the way they locked on like a missile target. Like that, Cherry winked. So you're good at being slutty? Excuse me? Cherry asked, literally clutching her pearls. They were a gift from an old man a few years ago. You don't know shit about me, so I ask you to keep your guesses about me to a minimum. I'm just saying. And I'm saying watch your mouth. There was silence and Cherry finished her drink. I think I have to go, Cherry sighed, standing up. Really? Michael asked, skeptically. Is it because I said you're good at being slutty? That and a few other things, Cherry smiled. Thanks for taking the time to meet. Sorry that it didn't work out. Michael stood up and grabbed Cherry's arm. Please, let's just talk more. I'm sorry for a poor joke. Cherry kneed Michael in the balls. Don't fucking touch me. Cherry's face was as red as her hair and lipstick color. After all, even a slut like me needs to have a pig consent. While Michael lost the use of his balls for a few minutes, Cherry walked through the inside bar, Treehouse. 
It was inside the bar where she recognized two people at their own little cozy table, Emily Nagoon and Big Four Charlie Berkman, who were chatting up a storm. Fucking of course. Cherry spat to herself before moving to the table behind Emily and Charlie. The treehouse was kind of crowded, and thankfully Cherry didn't stand out too much when there was a crowd. One of the skill sets that Cherry had was German Shepherd level hearing. So then I told my English teacher that I simply can't get through this can't essay, Emily joked, which caused Charlie Berkman to laugh himself to stitches. What happened next? Charlie's voice indicated that he actually wanted to know what happened next. That shocked Cherry so much that the gum she had been chewing fell onto the floor. Oh, she allowed me to switch to a different philosopher, thankfully, Emily sighed with positive memory. I hate when college professors assign specific topics like that. At least let me pick which dud I have to write a report on. Don't be jealous, but I got to pick my internship, Charlie began, a sentence that Cherry felt like couldn't go anywhere but to boring town. So I picked and spent a lot of time at a seal sanctuary. A seal sanctuary? Such a place exists? Yep, and I got to work, teach, and learn there all four years back in college, Charlie Berkman explained to Emily, but this was information that Cherry already knew about. Cherry had tried very hard to get Charlie, even going out of her way to joke that she'd seal bark in the bedroom, but Charlie hadn't really ever given Cherry a second glance. Cherry continued eavesdropping on the conversation with no intrigue until she detected a problematic sentence. It was hearing Charlie's dangerous words that prompted Cherry to act. Emily, I'm having a great time tonight. I'd love to. Hey, guys, Cherry cried out, moving forward with a smile on her face. What are you two doing here? Just hanging out? Absolutely not just hanging out. Emily's tone was as icy as the Arctic Circle during the winter solstice prior to global warming. Cherry, what are you doing here? Charlie asked, a bit shocked, but not upset by it. I was seeing a friend out on the patio, but he had to leave due to a medical situation. Yeah, Cherry thought to herself, broken balls has to be a medical situation. Cherry pulled up an empty seat as if she had created it out of thin air. I don't think, Emily began, but Charlie had spoken. Sure, join us, Charlie nodded, to which Emily's neutral grimace grew even more impossibly thin. That doesn't sound... So how was everyone's day? Cherry asked, as Charlie then went on about a bad emergency at the zoo. Emily eyed Cherry, part of her wondering if Cherry was daft enough to crash the state without realizing it. But even Emily had to admit that Cherry was pretty sharp and was probably using an air of, I didn't know, as cover for busting up the date. The odd threesome continued for another hour. Neither Cherry nor Emily wanted to leave Charlie with the other. It was like the Cold War with America and Russia, except over a man and not government format. It was finally Charlie himself who packed it in, oblivious to tonight's war zone. Well, girls, I better get going, Charlie said with a smile before heading out the door. Cherry and Emily both smiled and winged like Disney princesses on the float as Charlie exited the bar. As soon as Charlie vanished past the bar's door, Emily turned to Cherry with so much rapid speed that one could hear Emily's neck bones shudder. What a bitch move, Emily sassed. Cock-blocking me like that? You've got some nerve, Cherry. Excuse me? Cherry feigned knowledge of the situation, which made Emily seethe. It was rare to see Emily this upset. I genuinely was here for a date, and then looky here, I see you breaking the promise we had made together. We didn't make a promise, Emily snapped. You've got to be out of your mind, Cherry. You have control over 90% of the men in the entire northeast Ohio area. You're like a Viking colony in medieval Scandinavia. And when you can't get the other 10% of boys, the leftovers of society, you insist the rest of womankind be cult virgins or something. I just ask for five guys to be off limits. Is that too hard? Is that too much? 
Yes, it would be different if you dated any of the big four. They're just guys who didn't pick up on your flirts, that's all. Emily, who normally had a very calm demeanor, was starting to pick up steam. Is your ego that out of control that you can't let a couple grains of sand slip out of the beach you own? Damn, that's a beautiful metaphor. Well, I do have an English degree that I don't do shit with, Emily muttered. Can you let me have this, Cherry? Are you going to be a good friend? I don't like this, Cherry sighed, but I'll stand down. I swear tonight was not on purpose. I was here for a date, which went shitty, by the way. I had to kick the sexist D-bag in the balls. Cock blocking and ball busting. Look at you go, Cherry. Chapter 8 It was Friday afternoon when Cherry, Emily, Hayes, and Claire met up at Lorraine Investigative Services to have one last discussion before their undercover weekend at Sir Charles Wellington Worthington's Manor. Secretary Barbara was reading erotica at her desk, her mouth almost drooling over whatever sexy chapter she was engrossed in. Do we have all our gear? Claire asked. Accessory pieces? Pocket microphones? I'm bringing pepper spray just in case, Cherry nodded, holding up pepper spray the size of a thick pen. Is that necessary? Hayes asked. As necessary as the time you thought you looked good in a bandana. Emily rolled her eyes while Cherry did the sign of a cross. I thought I looked very good, Hayes murmured, blushing in embarrassment. And we have our alter egos down, Claire said, glaring into the three investigators as if glaring would make them memorize their characters. I've decided to use the name Sandra Rockview. That's a rough name, Cherry muttered. Sandra Rockview sounds like the villain in an 80s comedy. Well, the three of you weren't helpful, so you can blame yourselves, Claire snapped. And as a reminder, I'm showing up at 3, Hayes and Emily are coming at 4.15 and 4.45, and Cherry, you're rolling in at 5 p.m., just in time for the beginning of the family reunion weekend opening reception and dinner. I'm glad I'm coming late, Cherry told the team. My persona, Viv Wellington, always delivers a striking entrance. Oh, geez, I imagine a striking entrance in Cherry's terminology means her tits will be on display. Emily snorted, while Claire and Hayes nodded in agreement. Sir Charles Wellington Worthington's manor was located in Hudson, a swanky suburb south of Cleveland and closer to the sublime Akron. Cleveland and Akron were twins. Cleveland was the jock academic of the year, while Akron died in the womb. The suburb of Hudson was surrounded by a ton of lesser well-off cities. Hudson was like a celebrity who surrounded themselves with regular people and then bragged about it. Cherry drove down to Hudson while channeling Viv Wellington. It wasn't hard to be so beautiful and confident, since Cherry had those personalities in real life. Cherry soon arrived at a very opulent mansion tucked away in the woods. There was a nearby body of water that could be either a small lake or a large pond. Cherry wasn't sure how bodies of water were defined. There were plenty of parked cars, as well as someone dressed in valet clothing who Cherry handed her keys to. He eyed her car suspiciously, since the six-year-old Mitsubishi was a bit odd compared to most of the cars, which definitely cost an average of 40000 apiece. Thanks for handling this, Cherry said, slowly standing up so that her breast swung upwards into the valet's face. The valet boy looked at Cherry like she was a Greek goddess who walked into the middle of a farm town. Tonight, Cherry, knee Viv Wellington, was wearing a fancy black dress which made Cherry's twin peaks look like a cell in the middle of meiosis. Cherry's tan and hairless legs wandered from the loose fabric and shone in the light. Her lipstick and eyeshadow matched the bold red of her hair, while Cherry's heels had a dark red color. In her right hand, Cherry clutched a red pocketbook which contained her pocket microphone, a notebook, her wallet, and phone. 
The necklace that Battery had been given earlier was snugged right on top of her breasts like a child jumping out a bounce house. Some people might not be able to pull off so much red, but whether it was luck, an unknown factor, or sheer confidence, Cherry pulled off the color red. Cherry entered the manor's foyer and turned into the living room, looking like she was ready to be paid for sex. Like most opulent places, Watershed Manor was done up in marble, gold, silver, and fancy furniture that never looked comfortable. There were paintings of old white men, which was an indication of wealth. The centerpieces and decor came straight from Crate and Barrel, which was a store that even the middle class struggled to buy from. Most of the Wellington family was in the living room. Sir Charles had given the staff of the Lorraine Investigative Services all sorts of paperwork and pictures ahead of time. A few of the faces stood out, especially those who they were specifically canvassing. Sir Charles believed it was someone close to him and local. However, the ruse of a family reunion would help better to hide the investigators. Excuse me, are you family? A voice asked, and Cherry turned to see Charles Thirteenth which was Sir Charles' oldest son, who was in his late 40s. He was most commonly referred to as Charles Jr. and was married with two children. Charles Jr. looked like a 1930s noir film villain with greasy black hair and subtle scruff. He even had the pinstripe suit, which made him look like the biggest jerk in the room. To make his douchebag status complete, Charles Jr. had an old-fashioned in his hand. Nobody liked an old-fashioned, and those who genuinely did were to be wrought with suspicion. I am, Cherry extended her hand. Viv Worthington, I'm a third cousin to Sir Charles. So not too related then? Charles Jr. was sexually interested in Cherry, and she could feel the sexual tension through the handshake. Not too related at all, Cherry winked. She wasn't the type who would not flirt back in the name of the investigation. And you are? Cherry knew who he was, but was hoping to convey the stupid girl image a bit more. Charles, son of Sir Charles, most call me Charles Jr. Ah, good to meet you, distant cousin, Cherry smiled. I hope some parts of you aren't as junior as others. Who else should I know at this shindig? Well, my sister and brother are somewhere in this thicket, but I'm the only cousin you'll want to get to know. And how should I get to know you? Drinks tonight? Just you and me? Sounds good, Cherry smiled. If you excuse me, I think I need a drink now, before we meet later for our own drink. See you soon, Charles Jr. winked, heading off into a different direction than he had come. Cherry looked over and spotted Claire, Emily, and Hayes. They were each on their own conversations with non-important family members. Over at the bar, Cherry was served with a vodka tonic before she bumped into Sir Charles' youngest child, Marcus Worthington. Marcus was standing with his roommate Rio, although anybody with any sense knew that their roommate situation was a bit more sexual than just friendly. Besides being a fancy gay man, Marcus wore dreadfully gauche patterned shirts and was an avid supporter of the Cleveland Playhouse and loved brunch with mimosas. I'm sorry, Cherry genuinely apologized. This had not been a ruse. Cherry was genuinely clumsy. I need to be more careful. Did it spill on you? Not at all, darling. Marcus might have well raised a large rainbow fan with that sentence. Are you blood-related, or did one of my douchebag family members marry you into this family? Blood-related, unfortunately. Viv Worthington. I'm Marcus, and this is my friend, Rio. The pause before friend was more suspicious than the time small business loans went to large corporations during the 2020 COVID-19 crisis. Cherry shook hands with the duo. Rio seemed quite ordinary, 
although Marcus's handshake was as limp as overcooked pasta. Whereas Marcus seemed to represent rich gay aesthetics, Rio was dressed in a golf polo and khaki pants like some business gay. Do you live nearby? We live over in a condo in Cuyahoga Falls, Marcus explained. It's nearby. I wanted the country, but Rio wanted urban, so we settled there. That sounds lovely. And where are you from? Rio asked back. The hubbub and bustle of L.A. Cherry's face glowed as if she truly did live in L.A. Aspiring actress and all that jazz. So there's really only one place to go. Too bad you're not local. I know a few acting opportunities out here. Marcus winked. I'm quite connected to the theater community in Northeast Ohio. If you ever decide to leave L.A., let me know. I'll keep that in mind, Jerry said, actually keeping that in mind. What do you do here? I work at a graphic design firm, Marcus added, another non-surprise to hear from a gay man. And I work at the gym as a personal trainer, Rio informed, his job being just as gay as Marcus's job. Jerry eyed Rio in a platonic way and agreed that he had a good body. Cherry talked with Marcus and Rio, trying to figure out what their motive would be for killing Sir Charles. It was evident that Marcus was hiding his gay relationship from Sir Charles. Was that enough for Marcus to kill his father? Or was Marcus worried about being excluded from the will if Sir Charles were to discover that Rio's roommate's status was sexual? Cherry continued to ponder while feigning fake conversation, but was interrupted by Sir Charles addressing the room. Worthingtons! Worthingtons! Sir Charles cried out. The buzzing room slowly simmered to respect the family patriarchy. Thank you all for coming out here this weekend for this impromptu little family reunion. I hope the traveling wasn't too tedious. We have so many things happening this weekend. Let me give you a quick overview with my wife and the event planner of this weekend, Lindsay Worthington. More like fourth wife, Marcus joked to Rio, although Cherry overheard the joke. Cherry knew that there were three other women who Sir Charles had spurned over. Cherry locked eyes onto current wife Lindsay Worthington and rolled her eyes. Lindsay was barely 21 and looked like the kind of sociopath who enjoyed the comforts of money and shelter over true love. Thank you all. Lindsay flashed a white-toothed grin as if she was sponsored by a dentist's union. As my handsome husband said, I'm an event planner, and so he let me set out everything. I believe a lot of you will be staying here since we have 12 bedrooms to share. Local families can stay at their homes, and if people who don't want to share a room or who want more privacy, there is a hotel that's just a five-minute drive down the road. A hotel in Hudson? Cherry's eyebrows went sky high. That seems unlikely. Tonight we'll have this reception into dinner, Lindsay continued. It'll be followed by a bowling night in our bowling alley downstairs and a bonfire before bedtime. Saturday is a free day of events. We have scheduled both here and away. You're welcome to visit some highlights in the area if you choose to, and Sunday morning will be our tell-us-something brunch and then an afternoon cap before most of you leave for your flights. God, even her event planning is as sad as the fact that she married my father, Marcus sighed, causing Rio to chuckle. Is your mom here? Jerry asked. She is, over there. Marcus pointed a bit away. Also present are the other two ladies that my father married, Georgina and Fiona. What exactly happened with all these women? Dad divorced mom when I was six and married Georgina, his mistress at the time. Marcus explained, ready to divulge all the juicy family tea like he was waiting for even a ladybug to inquire about said drama. 
And then Georgina was gone a decade later, and Fiona was there two years after. And then Fiona got her decade in, and then Dad decided maybe he should date a bit younger. I'm not sure how he got Lindsay, but I'm sure there are plenty of sites out there for sugar daddies. Oh, wow, Cherry nodded. And your mom and Georgina and Fiona, they're all okay? Okay about being divorced? I guess so now. Back then they were all pissy. But mom got remarried and re-divorced. Georgina's currently married. And I think Fiona might be as well. Why are they here if they're not part of the family? Cherry continued. My father made amends to specifically have them come out this weekend. He wanted to celebrate all the good memories. I see. So what are the cool family members doing tonight? Are we going to like hang out by the pool maybe? <gasps> that sounds perfect. Marcus gasped, jazz hands out of control. Oh my gosh, I'm spreading the word. I love the concept, Viv. While Marcus went to work texting the cool family members, Cherry texted Emily, Hayes, and Claire about the possible pool party. Not to brag, but Cherry thought her idea was truly one for the books. Oh shit, there's some finger foods, Cherry whispered to herself, moving off to enjoy a tray of puff pastry. While Cherry dug through the food, she was met by another figure she knew, the middle child of Sir Charles, Beatrice. Beatrice looked like she was constantly dealing with a workplace problem. Well, I don't recognize you. What's your name? Beatrice asked while shifting through the celery and carrots. Cherry watched with agitation. Either take some vegetables or stop pushing them around on the serving platter. Beatrice then decided to forgo the vegetables. Viv Wellington, third cousin. Cherry smiled, even though Beatrice had done nothing to provoke a smile. Oh, lovely, Beatrice said in a tone that was not lovely. One of my dad's siblings' granddaughters or something like that? Yeah! Cherry was at the ready with predetermined family history, but didn't want to use the information unless pressed. Sir Charles came out to L.A. We met there a couple years back. Does he fund your lifestyle or something? Beatrice asked with a frown. It's hard to make a living out in L.A. I do fine. I'm an actress. But no, Sir Charles doesn't fund my lifestyle. Good. He wastes a ton of money on members of the family. Beatrice chirped. Have you been in anything, Viv? Just as an extra, I'm still waiting for my big break. Give it time. Beatrice said with a condescending sneer that implied that Viv needed a giant break if she wanted to even be a secondary character in some cheap production. Beatrice finally addressed a man that had been next to her this whole time. Viv, was it? This is my husband, Tyler. Hi. Tyler squeaked, giving a handshake weaker than Marcus Worthington. Ty looked like he was being held captive and had gotten used to captivity. We're local, just down the street, actually, Beatrice chuckled. Tyler works as an accountant, and I'm a lawyer. Some say we're quite the pair. Cherry didn't want to know who imagined them as quite the pair. If anything, they were a single person who seemed to have ensnared another person to do her bidding. Two blurs ran past the three of them, and Beatrice threw out her arms to stop the figures. Hank, Sammy, if you continue acting like baboons, I'll call up the Cleveland Metro Park Zoo and have them add you to their growing collection of baboons. Beatrice's voice was more scary than a ghost threatening to kill you for trespassing on their grave. The two kids, around 12 and 10, snuck off slowly like reprimanded dogs. I'm sorry that my children are pretty outrageous, Beatrice said with a tight smile. It seemed like Beatrice only had children because of an expectation, and not because she personally enjoyed children. Well, thank you for coming out for this event. I know it's last minute. Well, thankfully, my schedule's a bit open. Cherry smiled, while Beatrice turned back to the food to pick through more vegetables, before selecting the most unhealthy appetizer on the table, a brick of fried cheese. 
I'm excited to get to know you, Beatrice said, before sauntering off without as much as a look behind her. Cherry eyed Beatrice, but then her eyes caught the chocolate fountain. Even if Lindsay Worthington was nothing more than a gold-digging trollop, she did have a good taste in food. Cherry on Top is written, produced, and hosted by Matt Rebar. 